Hi, this is John Farmer with Outland Filmmakers, a production of the Ozarks Film Foundry. I'm here today with filmmaker, producer, Sean McEwen. He was out there in the Outlands as we speak, making movies, and he's graciously uh, agreed to join us and is going to share his insights about what it's like to make movies today. Sean? Hey, how are you, John? Nice to speak to you, and thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for joining us again. You are here with us in person uh, in Springfield, Missouri recently, and now you're out and about. Um, uh, thank you for making the time. I know you're very busy here with pre-production on a film. Wanted to talk to you about that. and wanted to talk to you about all the crazy things happening in our industry <laughs> lately. Uh, maybe um, I heard you were putting out some fires. How are things going? How are you doing? No, things are good. I mean, I, you know, I feel like probably uh, every day of the week at some point in the day, uh, being caught at the right or wrong time is, Oh, I just got done putting out some fires, but you know, I'm probably making it sound worse than it is. It's just, it's just, as we all know, it just comes to the territory of when you're wearing the producer part of the hat. Um, yeah, it's part of it is just, you know, figuring things out and making adjustments and pivoting and bobbing and weaving and fixing things and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, but no, actually everything's really good. I have no complaints. We've got a number of different projects that we're working on and one in particular that's really at the forefront here that we're about to get into full on physical production on and everything is good. Fantastic. Well, Hey, uh, for people who don't know you yet, uh, and our audience and you know, we're here on, this is a podcast, so it'll travel far and wide. Um, can you share a little bit about yourself and your career, how you got into what you're doing? Yeah, sure. So I grew up in, Missouri, for the most part, I have um, family roots and spent a lot of time growing up in both southern Missouri, the Ozarks, and northern Arkansas. Um, so I do consider the Ozarks like you know what's near and dear to my heart. Uh, interestingly, uh, potentially, that's probably where the wellspring of most of the stories that I like to tell come from. Um, I was really fortunate to go to Missouri State University, had a scholarship in the theater department. At the time, they didn't have much of a film program. They do now. They have a really outstanding film program now. Um, but at the time, I, it, you know, didn't. if you'd asked me, how do you make a movie, you might as well have said, well, how do you put a man or a woman on Mars? I would have had no idea. But I was really fortunate to fall in with some other like-minded filmmakers, and we kind of um, started just dabbling and trying to make little movies, little shorts, and try to fall upward every now and then. And make really bad ones, but maybe the next one's a little bit better or less bad than the last one. And then um, moved out to New York and did the starving artist thing, emphasis on starving, but um, <laughs> I fell in with, fell in with some other like-minded filmmakers there, did the same kind of imprint of like, let's make some stuff and do some cool things and eventually made my way out to Los Angeles. And that's where it really kind of clicked. And I was able to really uh, start with the writing aspect and wrote a couple screenplays. I was really fortunate to, to sell and get set up and then eventually get made. And, um, and that led to doing more of that and eventually opening the door to what I really want to do, which was to direct. Um, so, you know, do the whole writing, producing, directing thing. And, uh, and here we are today. Wow. Um, it, you know, a lot of people have zigs and zags. Your trip, your journey sounds pretty straightforward. You went through the normal, uh, channels. It sounds like, and along the way you made friends, you met a lot of people. Uh, so the business, runs on people, right? So how did you make it from where you were at in the Ozarks to connecting with all the sorts of people you've met? I think that that's a really great question, John. I think that, you know, um, as a, as a, as a Missouri boy, as I'll qualify myself is that, 
you know, you're almost from a cultural standpoint, and this isn't necessarily a bad thing at all, just is part of the culture, is, you know, you're, you're taught, you know, uh, the, the, to be polite, obviously, uh, you know, to be friendly, and, and in some sense, some of these things that might be reserved for other cultures um, seem like dirty words like networking, Um you know, always taught to like, oh, I don't want to put anybody out or ask ask for a favor, or some guidance or that kind of a thing. And I think starting to learn that that can actually be a bit of a skill set is to like, look, it takes a village and everybody needed a helping hand or some guidance or um, support. And I was really fortunate to start to kind of, you know, uh, plug in and meet people and, and do just that, like kind of, you know, offer up what I could when it came to, um, you know, potentially helping out with something that they were working on or uh, if they, God willing, if they were so kind, if I written something to share with them that they could take a look at and that can, can maybe lead to opportunities or these people being aware of your work and that's just getting people's attention is sometimes the hardest thing, but it's such an accomplishment and kind of going from there. So for me, it was just really getting my, you know, it's a different time and place, John, uh, unlike now where technology lends itself that you don't have to leave uh, necessarily the region that you're, you're applying your trade or your vocation, you know, you, you, it's, a, it's so much more, you know, uh, vastly spread as opposed to back in my day. It sounds like an old person saying back in my day. <laughs> yeah, you're day, young, you know, man. To, well, you, you had to go to New York or Los Angeles. You felt like to kind of plug into what was going on in the entertainment business and sound so much like that then. But uh, it, it was helpful for me. I got out there and started meeting people. And then the only other thing I would say that was helpful for me, and everybody's got a different path and nobody's got all the, all the answers, you know, that old William Goldwyn thing, nobody knows anything in this business. And that's so true, including myself, believe me. But I just started kind of going, well, wait a second. I, I love movies. I love the idea of filmmaking. I, I can definitely admit that there's a million things I don't know, but maybe I can just start reading all I can. Let me read about how do you write a screenplay? How can you do this? How can you... Like, you know, how can I watch and consume every great film and try to look at those and listen to, and again, this dates myself, but back in the day when there was DVDs and listen to the DVD extras about the filmmaker talking about how he or she made the film and all those kind of things. Yeah, all that just kind of came into play and really helped to kind of form a foundation for myself of eventually, you know, actually being in the business and, and applying what I think I can offer to it. Wow. Wow, it sounds like you said yes to a lot of people and a lot of opportunities and to a lot of learning. But along the way, there's always, um, you know, when people write biographies, there's always details left out, that pivotal moment when that changed everything. What, what was the pivotal moment that made your career, you think? And what made that happen? I, and is it reproducible? It the, yeah, it was the first time that I ever met you, John, was the pivotal <laughs> moment. That really? Was, oh, yeah, my. This well, is, this is the game changer. No, no, no. I mean, actually, no, it's been a blessing to connect with you, you guys. have been super, and actually it's quite inspiring what you're doing. So all joking aside, Thank you. but, um, I think, um, that's a great question. I think for me, the pivotal moment, I, I, you know what? Look, I think there's the answer where it's like, I met this one person and that opportunity led to this. And there's those stories. I mean, usually like, what do they say? Like success is when, you know, opportunity meets preparedness meets luck kind of thing. So that is so true. Like, so much of that has to almost all come into focus at the same time to kind of push, push the needle forward. Shall we say? Yeah. I honestly think for me and I please anyone listening to this, forgive me for sounding uh, of myself. I don't mean to, um, but it, but it's 
it's it's authentic and it's you know, I wish people would kind of talk like this when I was on the other side listening to hey just any clues or tidbits but it's one like as an artist um, that I started to realize what wait what do I have to offer that other people don't have to offer and I started to identify that about maybe what I bring to the table that's unique and kind of leaning into that when that kind of lightning bolt hit me right between the eyes of like, Hey, wait a second. I've had my own experiences and I have the stories that I want to tell because of the things that I've seen. It doesn't make me an expert or make me better than anybody else. But in the same respect, they, maybe there is something unique there. And, um, I think that to me was that lightning bolt moment of just like waking up literally one day and going, wait a second, you know, Sean, and I love talking about myself in third person, Sean <laughs> has his own thing that he brings to the table. And, you know, that, like, let me, let me, let me, let me lean into that really hard, you know? Well, you said, I mean, it sounds like an epiphany. I mean, I guess maybe what a, uh, what a lot of us hope for is, is a secret sauce, a recipe, uh, um, you know, how to capture that lightning in a bottle, some sort of way to make our own luck, you know? So, yeah. um, how do you make your own epiphanies? Yeah. I mean, that's a good question. I think that is number one, listening to two things. One is recognizing when you do have passion for something. And I know that sounds funny because it's like, well, what do you mean? It just, you know, you know, you, you're passionate for something you do, but sometimes you, you, you go, man, like I really love this. I love the idea of this and, and you love it so much that, you know, you can't almost even see yourself doing anything else. I think recognizing something that you really have passion for that regardless of the ups and downs of it, that you're still feel motivated to get up in the morning and try to, again, push that needle forward, push that rock up the hill. I think that's number one. I think also there's the realization uh, that can come to self when you kind of go, you know, wait a second here. Like I can, I can, do this. Like, you know, this is tangible. I can reach out and touch this and feel it and smell it and taste it. And like a lot of other people have actually done this and done well too. Why couldn't I? So I think it's kind of putting yourself in that place of like that kind of can do kind of spirit. And it's like an an attitude, which kind of leads to, and I'm not trying to sound preachy, but even like manifestation, just like, you know, look like believe, behave, become, so you can do something and just do it. You know, like if you're, if you're, I want to be a writer. Well, what, what does it take to be a writer? A writer writes. Like, and again, I tell myself this. I got to get hard on myself with this at times because believe me, I can procrastinate with the best of them. But it's like a writer writes. It means there should be nothing that stops you. If you say you're a writer, regardless if you've ever sold anything or if you've showed it to all these people or whatever, but if you get up in the morning or whatever your process might be or late at night or in between breaks at your job or whatever and get that pad of paper out or get that laptop and put pen to page, do that. Like, do it. If you want to go make a movie, go make a movie. Like, you might go, well, you need money, you know, all these things. Well, there's a million reasons why you can do something. You just got to figure out the one reason why you can do it. You know, so look at your, make a little movie, write a little something that's three minutes long and make a little short film, cut it on your iPhone, shoot it on your iPhone and submit it to like a festival or something like, you know, and, and start to share it within a community and let people see and evaluate your work, but be creative and bring your special sauce to that and do something and get it out there. It's weird. The weirdest thing is when you are applying and doing like the universe starts to recognize that. And then all of a sudden it starts to give and go, it recognizes you, John, as a filmmaker because you're doing it. And then all of a sudden more opportunities come because the, again, the universe is like magnetically attracted to that. And I think, again, that sounds a little preachy, but 
Yeah, it's not, it sounds super positive, thing. super uh, yeah affirming, which a lot of people need to hear. That it reminds me, although this maybe maybe I don't know if you'll appreciate the comment, but I always thought it was kind of funny that scene from Ed Wood, where Johnny Depp's characters in oh, in in the pool yeah. with all his friends and they're being baptized to raise money for their film, and uh, and I think it's uh, oh gosh I can't remember the character anyway. One of the characters is like, how do you do it? How do you get us all to be baptized to make your movie? And it's sort of you know you 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 have your passion you and everything falls in place and it did, so it's kind of a funny yeah. scene. I don't know. Have True. you seen the movie Edward? Great example. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Uh, many times, and I'm a big Tim Burton fan and Johnny Depp fan and Ed Wood fan, and that that movie was fantastic <laughs> for so many reasons. I so, what's the craziest you see- thing you had to do to get a film made or <laughs> to get through a day? Oh my god. <laughs> This podcast. No, I'm just um, that's my. That's going to be my running joke the whole time. All right. Well, I mean, it's uh, a fine this, podcast. It is one of the best. You're right. <laughs> no, listen. I agree. I agree. Um, I'm your biggest. I'm your biggest fan. Believe me. Um, so, so man, the craziest thing. I think um, that's a great question. I think the most extreme thing um, and crazy, but it was very ca- calculated, if you will, was I really. Was I was putting together uh, uh, the the intellectual property, if you will, for a project which included a number of it was a true life story and the rights and everything, and I actually ended up having to uh, go down and um, in part of the the pursuit of the life rights of these individuals that were part of this true story was to go visit each of them and this gives a little bit of the story away in three separate federal prisons. Um, so I had to first reach out to them, meet them, garner their trust. Uh, be allowed to come and actually meet with them in person in these high security prisons. And, uh, and that was probably the craziest thing that I've done in that sense of just, wow, I mean, this is intense. You intense, know? Yeah. Being, yeah. Yeah. And just being around that, that kind of ecosystem of inside a prison and stuff was just, was just wild mm-hmm. and doing it, you know, different capacities with three different people. And you was so, in um, there getting so, yeah. the rights is what you was doing. You wasn't uh, filming. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was for the last film that I just did that just came out in November called American Outlaws, um, which is a film that I'm really proud of and was really fortunate to win numerous like festival awards with, et cetera. But, Congratulations. Um, yeah. Time, Tell yeah, us more about it. No. Yeah, so that film, uh, American Outlaws, was based on a GQ article, an award-winning GQ article by a wonderful journalist named Kathy Doby. And, um, uh, you know, it, it, the article itself read so cinematically. It was about this story about these three siblings uh, about a decade ago who end up going on this cross country crime spree. They were had all the kind of salacious bells and whistles of like, you know, the sister was a former stripper now toting an AK 47 and they're robbing banks and getting the shots with the cops. But really at the end of the day, the story is about family and there was so many interesting aspects of it. And it was such a time and a place, but it also brought up so many uh, themes and issues that are relevant impressions to today, John, that it really spoke to me and spoke to some of the, uh, the sort of my my advocates around me, my team around me, et cetera. And, um, yeah, and it just led to getting the rights to that article, and then led to, you know, um, actually, you know, connecting with and then meeting in person with the actual siblings it was based on, and uh, developing the story from there. And then that that just opened up the whole possibility of making a movie. Wow. Well, I want to ask you some questions about the material and the story and the movie itself, but can I just talk a little shop here for a second about yeah. uh, acquiring uh, rights on something like that? Uh, how, how does that work out to use an attorney? What, what, what does it look like to get rights uh, for a life story? 
That's a great question. I've had the good fortune and have some things on my company play right now that are also life rights categories of, you know, r- real people that, or states that, you know, control the life rights uh, that, that, you know, I've identified and, and feel like they would make really great movies and stuff. So, I mean, it can go so many different ways and it kind of goes back to that thing. I mean, every project and situation is different. Uh, so, you know, you just kind of have to kind of feel it out as you go. And, you know, um, obviously if this was some kind of situation where it's like, Oh, I just read a new JK Rowling book. I'm going to go get the rights to that. Well, that's like, you know, you're talking studio level, like there's throwing a bajillion dollars at something like yeah. that. And, Obviously that, you know, that dynamic is going to want to plug into more of a studio situation. So I'm not talking about stuff like that, but I'm talking about like, you know, again, you find a really cool life story or something, even if it's someone who's had fame or infamy or something. And, you know, the, the process of like, and, and I think there may be a little bit of a, a craft or talent to this, but finding a appropriate way to, you know, first, sometimes they're not easy to find, but find them and get in touch with them and introduce yourself, explain kind of what you're doing. Uh, you know, some people are really open to it. Some are very not or very mistrusting or untrusting. And you kind of have to get past that. But then, you know, getting to the legalities of it, like let's say to jump over this part of the story that you're finally at a point where the, the, the said individual or um, subject matter has decided that they're willing to get into business with you and have you develop their story. Um, then, um, you know, uh, you can then uh, do it so many different ways. I mean, you know, if you're, some, some of them require uh, money for their life rights for a certain period of time. Um, you know, you can also work under the context of like, look, I'm bringing, we'll call it that, that funny term sweat equity to this, that I'm going to put this on my back and, and, and I'm going to make, you know, write a script and, and I'd like you to be supportive of that. And there'll be nothing upfront money wise, but, you know, get you to, to at least, you know, um, let me, you know, control the rights on this while I'm developing this for a certain period of time. And, I should hopefully show you results and milestones along the way. And if I'm fulfilling those, then this is you know a great relationship and hopefully we can go get this made. And that's when we'll both be remunerated for that. I mean, there's so many different ways to skin that cat, but. Sure. But you're, you're pretty involved with the, if the person's alive, you're pretty involved with them. I, I asked because it's yeah. interesting. Um, I recall, I just saw a film recently, uh, professor Marston and his wonder women. And, uh, it, it's about the creator of wonder woman, the character. And um, right. but the filmmaker made the movie and then didn't consult the family, just made it according to whatever vision, and so it wasn't historically accurate. And uh, you know, so you know, because you know, the director had their vision. So is it really kind of an interesting situation, and a little bit different, different ways to do things, right? No, there are, and it depends. I mean, listen, sometimes you know, you you can get along quite well and agree with you know, the person they agree with, with your vision and sometimes it doesn't match up and that can be its own challenge. But I think that's part of the kind of dance of it all. I mean, I'm working on a life rights project right now with somebody that's very, I mean, I would say very, very sensitive uh, because of what they were involved in and what they did and how they want to be portrayed. But it's that fine line between a, I want to do right by them for them having a really good, healthy experience but also telling a true story, which means sometimes, you know, you got to tell it words and all you have to, you know, so there's that, that balance of that. And so that's just, again, part of the relationship that you hopefully forge and develop with the subject and and go from there. Very interesting. So you're, you're definitely, um, you're definitely working in that whole language of balance. You're working in that whole universe of trying to balance, which makes me think in, 
makes me think about the kind of balancing act we're all kind of trying to figure out right now here. I wanted to ask you. Oh my gosh, you know, yeah. Not as affirming, not as, 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 you know, rosy and, and sunbeamy, but this whole thing with uh, AI and where we're all going, because, you know, we were just seeing in the news all the time. I'm kind of curious. I think I heard through the grapevine, maybe you have some involvement with this. I wonder what your thoughts are. Well, I mean, I don't necessarily have involvement with it, but I do. Um, there's a few projects that I have that are um, involved with uh, dynamics that are going to be utilizing some AI technology. I want to explore utilizing it. And it's, and it's hard because I think there's a lot of potential there um, the, the, to the extent that, you know, look, I'm not, it's not so far advanced, the stuff that I, that they'd be working on with the stuff that I'm working on that it's like, Oh, we don't even need actors or directors or writers. We're just, the AI is going to do everything. I mean, I think that's the thing that we're all frightened of is like, you know, all of this getting replaced and there, there, there's no even filmmaking anymore, if you will. And that to me would be horrible. It kind of goes to that old saying, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Um, I think that's the big, you know, check mark that we're all trying to kind of pay attention to like, Hey, is this, is this all going in the right direction? Is the genie's kind of out of the bottle now. So, so where do we go from here? Um, but I do think there's some positives, but there's another lens to look at it through. And that's what I'm interested in uh, and paying attention to, which is like, Hey, how can we like, there's so much that can be done now from a technological standpoint and with the support of, you know, artificial intelligence and uh, you know, augmented reality and all these things that how, how can we take that technology and put the, the paintbrush in the hand of the actual artist? Meaning like all these things that maybe couldn't be done on these kind of micro small budgets that, wow, what if, what if that, what if that person who's making a film that's kind of, I don't want to say stuck because it's a great community and place. And I love it. But like they're in Eureka Springs, Arkansas, and they don't really have the means or the ability to like go live out in Hollywood or even, you know, finance a film or even know people that would, but they have a story to tell. And now maybe there's this future and way that even they could tell a story that could, you know, touch people and, and, you know, and lend their voice to the tapestry of great stories and storytelling. And I think that to me is really exciting. And I hope that's more the direction that we're going with this stuff. I mean, it's great to like do things in a more efficient way. It's great to save money. It's great to, you know, cause obviously as we know, especially applied John to the independent film space, you know, the resources are less and less, but the requirements are more and more. So that this could potentially help offset some of that and, and, you know, uh, let you still accomplish finishing your film is, is, is very promising. Um, but you know, yeah. look, it's, it's, this is all moving very fast. And we're kind of trying to kind of keep it wrangled, you know? And see yeah, it it's true. It's, it's, um, well, um, gosh, I mean, we, we're having like, we're trying to game this out in our heads over here. Uh, you know, where we're at in our little, uh, neck of the outlands. Because we saw that article come out of Atlanta, Tyler Perry uh, was uh, committing to build an $800 million studio and is backed out because of worry, you know, about the trends and, you know, is really concerned about uh, the impact of jobs, even though he's using AI in his own stuff. But gaming mm-hmm. it out, you know, what does it look like if, if the $100 million tentpole features aren't, you know, as popular anymore because you can make films for $10 million? And, you know, what does that look like? And you can make them outside the studio zone in L.A. You can make them anywhere in the country, wherever there's a team of people that know how to mix the two technologies, you know, the practical technologies of sure. filmmaking and the, and the advanced A.I. stuff. Does that mean more films? I mean, yeah, it's, it's a democratizing technology, 
but maybe it makes it possible to make more interesting movies in more places. That's one way to yeah. think it through it. No, I think that I think you're right. I think that's not just spin doctoring. I think that there really is an upside potentially to this to where, again, if we're going to be very specific, how can this impact, like you said, the Outlands, um, specifically the you know Ozark area? Um, because, I mean, look, I, I, here's, my, here's why I'm such a, a big fan of that area in particular. I mean, not only do I have familial roots there, but if you look at from a histrionic standpoint, I'm not a history professor or teacher, but, you know, so much of that area was originally settled by, you know, uh, people from, um, you know, the Scotland and Ireland. And that's a big storytelling culture. And oh, yeah. with that came all the music and the sounds, um, you know, that, that in the bluegrass that has its roots with that, and which is a storytelling type of music and, you know, sitting around campfires telling things. So all that's, you know, very sort of indicative of the Ozarkian experience. And they come by it honestly. It's throughout history and when the settlers came to that area. And I think you, you find so much of that. So naturally, the Ozarks really lends itself to that. And also, it's such a beautiful area, uh, which was impacted you know, throughout you know, the, the history of our nation in so many different ways that you know, it just, it, it's ripe for so many great, fresh perspectives. And, uh, you know, and, and you can cherry pick these amazing like, tales. And I think that's what's exciting too. So between here, you've got this amazing area region with wonderful people that are also cinephiles and want to make movies, but also make them in, you know, this, this place that just lends itself to these great aesthetics that are so cinematic. It's just, to me, it's a, and, and you have that storytelling history. It's just a match made in heaven. So you just, you just, it's really exciting. I hadn't thought of this before until you just mentioned it and just, and it's come up. I'm thinking all of this stuff out loud for the first time as we go. But you remember when the collapse, the collapse of the studio system happened, you know, the classic golden age of Hollywood. And then there was a period, you know, the, well, the early films of the um, early 70s. You know, you had you had a renaissance of American indie filmmaking. It was They called it New Hollywood, as when Scorsese and them came up, but also Dennis Hopper, you know, um, yeah. you know or Easy Rider and these sorts of films. It was a lot Absolutely. of like, you know, a lot more intimate, lot smaller films than the big old studio films. And it, and it created sort of a renaissance. You had that... In the seventies and again in the nineties, this may be something like that. Hard to say, you know, but it's an idea. I, I, I if I could, I'm pardon me for interrupting you. I, I, I would love to make a prediction and sound like one of those castles. <laughs> we'll put it on a time capsule on Facebook for but, everyone but, to see. Put sure, it in a time capsule. Let's see. Let's dig it up and see if, if we were right. I actually agree with you, and I think that's the hope. That's the positive. But I think there, there's some real credence here to that, that take because, look, I think we can all admit that there's a lot of a specific kind of content out there and it's not beating up on it because obviously it's, there's a reason people love the big popcorn fair, the big comic book stuff. That's awesome. I love it too, but yep. you know, there can be I'm not suggesting there is or isn't, but there can be a fatigue when you're served the same thing so much at some point you can only eat so much lucky charm cereal. They want to try Cheerios or something, you know, <laughs> yes. or scale it back a little bit, a little less sugar, you know, and give me some substance. I mean, whatever the analogy is. So, so my point being, I can't believe I just compared my thing to breakfast cereal, so that's hysterical. <laughs> but, um, but that being said, I think my point is, is that, man, wouldn't that be amazing if, um, not to do away with those, I think there's always going to be a place for that stuff and people want this, but also like, well, let's get back to some of those intimate stories or let's talk about stories that aren't the norm, that where cinema can actually like 
you know, portray things and communicate things and evoke things that aren't just in a very narrow lane of this is just entertainment for entertainment's sake, that there's something deeper here. There's meaning here. There's, you know, human to human connection and it's the human experience. And I think I'm going to really butcher this, but I feel like I just saw a quote recently and I don't think I dreamed this, but I think it was actually Natalie Portman. So forgive me if I'm misattributing this. But where she said that with this sort of, you know, other film business is kind of overall hurting in some way, she kind of felt that, um, that, that in a sense, it was going to kind of form this opportunity for people to actually not be so beholden to when they're making a movie to, again, stay and paint within those lines where maybe we can stretch our wings a little bit and go a little bit more fringe and tell those unique stories that did inspire when there was this renaissance in like the seventies with the easy writers, the Peter Fonda's, Dennis Hopper's, Jack Nicholson's, et cetera. You know? Um, and I think that's so exciting. Wouldn't that be amazing? I, I think it would be. Yeah. I mean, another John Cassavetes or another Werner Herzog, you know, um, yeah. uh, American style. I mean, it's a possibility and po- and possibly, you know, as this, uh, you know, generative AI to video text to video, uh, technology improves and OpenAI released Sora here this last week which is pretty incredible um, unbelievable it really is you know so that you can create uh, you can put these intimate stories and 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 add all the uh, you know accoutrements add in all the the, the you know hopefully uh, more uh, spiritualized effects you know so they're not dead effects and and see where that stuff can go I mean, it'd be very, very interesting. I, yeah, I'm. I have. I'm full of optimism there. I know a lot of people are freaking out, but I think it, uh, AI can be a creative assist, and uh, if properly utilized, may offer some real creative um, new opportunities. I agree. This is yeah, my sense, well anyway. Hey, uh, are you in New Orleans? I'm, okay, all right. So we we came out of the whole AI talk feeling pretty good. That's good. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, no. Like a lot of people don't feel that way. <laughs> Yes, and, 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 and until, uh, you know, Terminator 2 kind of enacts itself, and then there we are. But, you know, other than that, it's great. Um, right. Hey, so tell me, um, I think when I last saw you, when you were up here in, uh, with us, you was on your way to New Orleans. What's New Orleans like? The, I'm always curious about film scenes from place to place around the country. What's it like down there? Yes. No, great question. So actually, um, and forgive the correct, but it's actually a, a Shreveport. Oh, Shreveport, is, uh, forgive me. More of the northern part of the city. No, 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 totally good. And only because I would love to speak about New Orleans, and I love New Orleans as a city, but I've not ever shot anything in New Orleans, which has a very robust film community, of course. Uh, Shreveport, um, listen, I've been fortunate to already shoot one movie there. I had a really wonderful experience. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. It's so exciting when you can plug yourself into a new community and you see all these fresh faces and these artisans that are excited to come together and make something great and, uh, you know, and, and, and pull the resources together to do so. And it's so inspiring. And, you know, Shreveport has definitely been that, um, you know, it, it's, it's got its kind of own look and own feel, which, you know, depending on the kind of film that you're making, uh, can really be helpful. Um, I, I'm, again, I'm not the perfect person to speak to this, but my understanding is like, you know, look, it kind of kind of had its own to use that word again, Renaissance. When um, unfortunately there was the, the Hurricane Katrina stuff, which then, uh, caused a lot of problems in New Orleans to shoot. So a lot of that that workflow moved up north to Shreveport, and then they kind of had a boom there for a bit, and then eventually that kind of receded itself. So there's not a, as much film as there was some time ago, 
Uh, but I think they're great crews. I feel like they're really hungry to work as probably a lot of communities are and, um, and are super supportive and super exciting. And, you know, you go to these communities too, John, and I'd be like the shooting back on the Ozarks too. It's like, you know, man, we're looking for a really cool, like, you know, uh, turn of the century church that looks like something from little house on the prairie. I'm just making this up as I go, whatever. And all of a sudden one twist and turn down some dirt road and you find that awesome thing. And you're like, man, this is like, this is like from a movie. It's incredible. And I love those kind of discoveries. And again, that's one of the things I go back forgive the repeat about shooting where you guys are is that there's so much of that to tap into just all these things that would just be so iconic to, you know, more immortalize in a film. Um, I, I look forward to people discovering that. And I definitely found that in other communities too. Is, that's uh, neat. You know, so what, what have you had to bring in there? And uh, do you, I guess, uh, is it something that you can, um, do, do you have a system for kind of parachuting into a community? Maybe that's a yeah, better I mean, question. It, it, yeah, it, great. And not to be ambiguous about that, but it depends on the community. It depends on the film. And it depends on the time that you're doing that. It depends on what else is going around in that area. And all those things can vary film to film and you can do, you know? Sure. So, you know, to answer that question, it's a little difficult only because, you know, I might go there and there's three other films shooting and then, yeah, you're bringing stuff in because, you know, they can only go so deep because they have so many people locally that can do art department stuff or can do whatever it might be. So um, there's that case. And, and sometimes you're very pleasantly surprised because they have a really solid infrastructure and have everything covered you need. I mean, they have a wonderful, I mean, look, something I'd love the Ozarks to get at some point, especially with this appears to be support of this new tax incentive or reinvigorated tax incentive program is like to get an actual studio built, you know, and, and be able to actually attract things that come down there and take advantage of, you know, true brick and mortar infrastructure that's needed to make films uh, from, at times. So um, that, yeah. that kind of stuff would be really exciting. But yeah, so um, yeah, but it, it really just depends. Okay. Yeah. Well, I was kind of curious about that, you know, how much uh, you find in a place that you go and when you're producing what you, uh, you know, how much time you need to, in pre-production to set up a, set up a shoot when you're coming in as an outsider. But I get it. Yeah. yeah. No. Hmm. Well, what, what's um? Oh, you've been so you've been so positive. You're you're probably the most positive guest <laughs> you ever have. Oh my gosh, that's always... so nice. I hope. Well, I don't know. Catch me on the catch me on a different day. No, no. I I mean, listen. That's a great point. Okay, I, that's really nice of you to say that, and I I hope I am. I would like you to are. Be. Um, but but um, but I think it just comes down to man. It doesn't always work out like this. And do I have the bad days and when the negative thoughts, of course, Oh my gosh, I tell you, but at the end of the day, like shouldn't we be in some way loving what we do? It's so hard, honestly, that if you don't love it, why are you doing it? How are you doing it? How is this actually going to work? I think the thing that people respond to the most is yeah. Positivity, not just for the sake of positivity, but like keep that stiff upper lip and, and passion. Passion is like its own sort of aphrodisiac to attract the flies to the honey of it all. And um, I think that's, the, you know, people want to do cool stuff. And like, we all we don't, if, if we're doing this, I think we all love movies in some capacity and they all impacted us. And what a blessing to get even a shot to try to do this stuff and talk about this stuff. It's, I it's incredible. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um, and it's a great legacy when you create something that can last, you know, and if, potentially forever and influence people. But one of the big questions that, that pops up a lot, a lot that people have difficulty with all the time is, is how to make a career out of it. If, or, you know, you, you, it's very difficult to, even if you're in LA, 
unless you're at the top of your game in your trade, you know, to be working, you know, all year long. You may not want to, but even if you do, it's a hard thing to do. And people, it's difficult to find the how to do the side hustles that can still, you know, leave you with enough time or energy or passion to still make movies. Do you have any advice for people like that? Well, I mean, listen, I, I I do think that's really hard and we have to admit that. I think if I was sitting there saying, well, just, you know, figure it out and let your passion guide you. And I mean, yeah, yes to all those things, but I think then we're not really having a real conversation because it's hard. I mean, it is hard. I mean, it's hard when, you know, uh, I connected with other filmmakers in, in your area and I've, and other filmmakers myself, I've been in this position many, many times where, look, you're doing it, but it's not because you're making really any money doing it. You're doing it because you love it. And you're trying to push it forward, push that rock up the hill. Um, and even when you make the movie, sometimes the, all the resources go to just putting whatever you can up on the screen with the hope that you'll create something great and then can move on to the next thing. You know, so it's, it's, it's not easy. But I think, you know, if you look throughout history, and this is going to sound like such a cliche, but you know, some of the greatest artists of all time, they had to sacrifice and sure. you know, it's, it's, it's hard. I mean, it's, um, I'm not, again, trying to prop this person up or not prop this person up, but you know, Elon Musk, the, the legend, the Lord goes that, you know, as the first Teslas were about to roll out and, you know, people were laughing, like you're going to start a car company about like electric cars and stuff. Like he was sleeping on the floor of the factory you know, make sure everything was going right. You know, and I guess, is that a true story? I have no idea. But it, the, the point of it is interesting and potentially inspiring that like, you know, you, you, you it is, you have to, you have to sacrifice. It, it's that other old saying, John, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. It's not yeah. supposed to be easy. I find comfort in that because then those days I'm like, oh my God, it's hard. Like, wait, it's supposed to be hard. And now accept that. Now I can deal with that and move on and move through that and go, okay, just because it's hard doesn't mean it's impossible. And if it's not impossible, then there's a way. And if there's a way, we just have to figure out that way. So if it means we can't go through that door, can we go over the door? Can we go around the door? Can we blow the door up? Like, what can we do? You know, well, so have you found a mindset to help people uh, help people uh, be sensitive to ways of get you know keeping their perspective uh, to get this done so they don't get burned out or or bummed out? I, I mean. Yeah. I think it's up to the individual because we're all different and what kind of keeps us going and motivates us. I joke and, and that sometimes you have to be, a, you know, and I'm, again, I'm not minimalizing mental health or anything, but, but like sometimes maybe just a little couple drops of crazy is probably a good thing because if you're a Warner Herzog and you're literally dragging a boat, uh, you know, up the mountain through the jungle, you have to be a little bit <laughs> yes. crazy to do that, but also a lot passionate and a lot of visionary and a lot like, you know, rage against the machine, rage against the storm kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So I think, um, yeah, like again, I, you never want to get to the point obviously where you're like hurting yourself, hurting people around you. But I think you kind of have to be really like, look like I, I'm, it's almost like going into, this sounds like a negative. It's not in my mind, but going into battle, like, Hey, this is going to be a battle, but let's go. Let's get great people around you that have the same kind of vision that are can do people. And let's, let's do this. Let's do something awesome. And, and, and even when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Let's go, you know. So, like I said, you're you know, you're you're the most affirming, <laughs> <laughs> most affirming, inspirational speaker we have. Uh, it's not easy though, <laughs> man. But no, what else is there? You can either just be a a grump meister about it, or you can uh, just like you. Yeah, I heard this great thing on this podcast where this guy was saying um, he was some like titan of industry of some sort and like some really successful business and entrepreneur and he was uh, and, you know he, he owned this company and 
Um, and one of his, the guys that was working for him one day came up to him and said, boss, I can ask you a question. He said, you know, whenever something's not going well, you know, we come, I'll come to you and I'll say like, oh, we just lost this account or all oh, the, the machine in the factory broke down. You always say, good. And then you say, okay, so here's, and you always start, whatever I bring to you that's not necessarily good, you start off with going good. And he said, why do you do that? Like, it's not good. It's like, we just lost the account or the machine just broke down. Or, this just happened. And he said, well, because I look at it like this. I say good because it means there's an opportunity here. It means there's an opportunity to improve. It means there's an opportunity to fix. It means that something in the universe is saying, this isn't going to work, but try it this way. And he said, and all that strengthens. It's like, you know, the old thing about scar tissue makes, the, you know, scars make the tissue stronger. Yeah. When, you know, you, and I think that's, you know, and I, and look, I'm kind of, he said it so much more eloquently than I did, but I think there's something really inspiring about that. And I think that's, a great perspective to have. Like, yeah, you're going to get, you know, how do you take all the lemons you're being thrown and turn into lemonade? Because it's kind of our job to do that in a way. Yeah. And you know, earlier I asked about epiphanies and how you manufacture your, your own and make your own luck. And some of it, some of it's, uh, at least, I mean, this is my little theory I'm making up here right now. Um, and I'm sure it's not like a great insight, but that you have to uh, be sensitive and open to epiphanies. You know, you have to be, uh, that's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you have definitely. to be open. What is that book? And I can't remember the author. I get, I'll probably bastardize this, but at least I'll make the point. Big Magic, and she's a wonderful author. And she talks about, like, you'll get even a creative idea, and that epiphany or that idea will come to you. And she talks about, like, it's almost like this gift from whatever your belief system is, from the heavens, from the ether, from whatever it is. And you either have this opportunity to embrace that idea, that inspiration, that creative idea, or not, and then it moves on to its next person. And it's like, so I do think there's something, if you kind of treat it like that, this precious thing, it doesn't mean every idea is they need to make, but like those things are kind of given to us and you either grab it, you hold on to it and you nurture it, you cultivate it, you grow it, or, you, or it moves on to the next person. So yeah, I think those epiphanies are really important to kind of keep your radar open to because they do come, but when they do, you'd be ready for them. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, I hope everyone's listening about that because that's wisdom. And speaking of wisdom, since you and I both are like, you know, pushing on 30 years, you know, yeah, years exactly. of age. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, exactly. we, we picked up some wisdom <laughs> along the ways. But for those people, you know, there's, there's those people that have to find how to stay inspired. But then there's those people who may feel like, you know, uh, there are, the opportunities have passed them by. They can't do this, you know, and there is ageism and so on. Is there ever a time when you really uh, can no longer do this? No longer make movies, and uh, I see. I love this question. Yeah, go go ahead. Sorry. No, well, I, there's a just a final piece to it. Is like because that would be a shame because you know some of the deeper storytelling, some of the deeper ideas, and 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 wisdom itself, you know, comes with age. I completely agree. I think here's the thing. I think like it goes back to now, and this is not going to sound like an idiot. It's always hard. This business hard. All many businesses are hard. It's not just this industry. And it's not supposed to be easy, but with that comes, there's always an excuse. There's always something that's telling you, it doesn't matter if you're 19, if you're 29, if you're 39, if you're 79, telling you why you can't do something. It may be because of your age, it may be because of your ethnicity, it may be because you weren't born here, it may be because you're not smart enough, it may be because you're, there's always somebody or something or some outside force or some outside narrative that can lead you to believe right or wrong, accurate or inaccurate that there's, you know, excuses for you not being able to do something. And I think I call bullshit. I call bullshit. I say like, man, you know, 
if, if everybody listened to that, you wouldn't have these people that later in life, you know, were inspired to do great things that didn't start their careers and their lives till later. Um, there's a huge list of this, and I'm going to forget every single one of them, but it's inspiring when you find out that certain people didn't do things until later in life. Like I think like yes. Olympia Dukakis, the actress, like who's an Oscar nominated actress, like she didn't really get her first professional jobs until she was like in her fifties and sixties. Like it was just, wow. you know, and again, I might be butchering that, but there's a lot of those kind of examples of that. And I think like, you know, why do you have to let anything define anything? Like there's, and you know, and everything is rule of thumb until it isn't. Everything is like, well, the average is like, if you're going to be a director, like they want young directors and they're like the oldest, you know, like 30 and like you can't, yeah, until like somebody great comes along and they do a great thing and they're in their 60s. Like, who, I mean, like, you know, don't let anybody like hold you back. I mean, look what, yeah, now they're all starting to come back. I'm like, George Foreman was told like, you know, you're, look, your box career is over, buddy. Like, look at it on paper. Like everything's working against you, your age you know, the demographic of the type of fighters that you're going up against, like there's no way. And like he became a, a world champion, a heavyweight champion again, in spite of his age. I mean, it happens all the time. So just, it's just, you have to go to your own mental reserve and mental resolve and go, man, I'm not going to let, just don't list, just push all that out. If you, but here's the deal. If you've got a passion for something, if you've got a story to tell, you just, everything about you wants to tell a story, nothing will stop you. And don't let anything stop you. Because, Nobody knows anything. It goes back to what I said earlier. Nobody, I mean, and <laughs> nobody knows anything. Like, what know. a great line. It really is. Wow. <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt you because you were on no, a roll. No, no, yeah. <laughs> no, listen, I get, I get all amped up. I'm literally jumping up on top of my desk, stomping up and down like Tom Cruise on a chair with the Oprah Winfrey. No, kidding. Uh, no, yeah, I, that's what I feel like, though, in a good way. Like, yeah, I'm passionate about this stuff, but. Whatever. We've all been told why we can't do something. Screw that. Well, you mentioned bullshit, and there's like bullshit jobs and bullshit legacies, you know, and and for all the difficulty of it, of all this, you know, in the end, uh, you know, there's there's work that you will have created that has hopefully value, if if not to no one else, at least yourself. You put in the time, you, it's something you wanted to create in the world. Well, look at all the people that were, here we go, ready? All the people that were rejected. They talk about Starbucks when the original were doing their raise for Starbucks and going even for bank loans. They were turned down for dozens and dozens and dozens of loans before they started that company. How many publishers, and this is like public record, that J.K. Rowling, before she published the first Harry Potter novel, she was rejected time and time again by all the big boys and big girls out there until she finally landed on that. And she kept going. I mean, stories go on and on. I mean, Steven Spielberg was rejected by USC film school, wasn't he? I mean, that's, I think one of the ones that ended up at University of California, Northridge. And like, I mean, just, you're shocked. I mean, Oprah Winfrey, like not getting a job in broadcast until she finally became the queen of media. I mean, she's just, you know, it's unbelievable what she's done. I mean, just story after story after story, you know, it's, it's unbelievable. So keep your resolve. Believe in yourself and keep your resolve. Yeah. Yeah. I think both, um, both Harrison Ford and Clemise would have separate stories of, walking that excuse system, both being told you'll never make it in this business and you're not leading man material. Uh, Harrison Ford and Clint Eastwood, they, they are the quintessential leading men, but they didn't listen. And then the rest is history. Had they listened, would there be an Indiana Jones? It'd be somebody else would be playing that part. I think it would have been Tom Selleck playing that part. I think that's who they were talking about at one time. Can you <laughs> oh. imagine? And then they were there. Oh, that would have been terrible. I think yeah. that's the truth. I think I, I think I'm, 
the audience can let me know, but I think I'm, I think I'm right about that. I think that's public knowledge. So there you go. Magnum no. PI as Indiana Jones. <laughs> okay. All right. I, I've been inspired so much by this talk. Uh, I have, and I hope everybody else has too. Uh, I think inspiration is your thing. Yeah. Listen, I just, I, I've have been very fortunate that people, around me that were, you know, positive and, and influential that way. And I just think the minute that you're around people that are naysayers and negative, those are not the people that you need to be around. Just push it away and, you know, surround yourself with not, not yes people, but can do people. They're like, hell yeah, let's go do this, man. Let's go. Right on. Okay. Well, I'm going to be calling you up again. I hope sometime you'll let me uh, to, to, to no, soak up this positive reinforcement. Um. And we try to keep these talks for under an hour, 45 minutes to an hour. And I know that you're busy and you've taken up a lot of your time here. But um, we're going to wrap this up. Sean, you, uh, I, I'm, I'm all fuzzy, fuzzy and warm after this talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was my goal. So listen. Yeah. <laughs> we, can but, just, we can virtually hug through the <laughs> telephone here. Hugging my microphone. Well, yeah. now good luck with... Uh, with what you're doing down there in Louisiana. And thank you for joining us here on the podcast and joining us when you was in town. I hope we all get to meet up with you again somewhere in our travels here soon. I can't wait. I'm so appreciative. I'm so inspired by what you guys are doing. Uh, please keep going. And uh, let's look at bringing some films to the outland to, to, you know, specifically to these areas that we're talking about and, and even the, you know, the Ozarks and stuff. It deserves it. So I'm excited. You're here. You're here. All right. Well, then I'm going to let you be. Thank you, Sean. I appreciate it. I'm going to just put out a quick word here for our sponsor, um, Hotel Vandevort. They're uh, our executive producer uh, sponsor. That's our highest level. We really appreciate their support for cinema and the cinematic arts. So thank you very much, Hotel Vandevort. And Sean, be well. Godspeed. If you need anything from us. I want to say I want yes. to say one thing, and I was not told to say this plug. That hotel in particular, the Hotel Vanderbilt, is unbelievable. It is a fantastic, fantastic facility spot with an excellent staff and just makes that whole experience of staying there and staying downtown incredible. I've, I've really been fortunate to stay there, and it's just I can't say enough about it. So. Wow. There you go. <laughs> well, thank you, Sean. I'll pass the message along. Uh, thank you very much. And... Um, to everyone out there listening on the internet, out there in podcast world, in the podcast universe, take care of yourselves. This has been Outland Filmmakers, outside the studio, inside the stories, uh, with people with insight that matters. Sean, take care. We'll talk soon, okay? Thank you, John. All the best. Thanks. Uh, Thank be you. well. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.